Hello again, this is the Brattlecast. I'm Jordan Rich. I have such a great time doing this particular project with my good friend Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop, a Boston and actually a national institution located on West Street in the city of Boston. Uh, first-hand look at second-hand books and so much more. Ken, um, we've talked about collecting. We've talked about collections that you've brought in to show me and explain to the audience, but uh, we're going to peer back and take a look behind the curtain as to what you have in your personal stash when you're out on the road telling these great stories. What did, what's that all about? Well, what, what a lot of times people will say to me, and I, and I do lectures at libraries, historical societies, mm. uh, a lot of talking, uh, sometimes live. Hopefully more and more we're getting back yes. to the live talks. And I, at the end of them, I do appraisals, which although I think I tell good stories, people actually come because they want to see what, what type of things they have in their attic, cellars, basements, whatever. But a lot of times people ask, do I collect books? And I read a lot of books. I have books about books, book collecting. But when I was growing up, my father would bring home four, five, six books a day. Do that for year after year after year <laughs> after year. And our house got filled up. So I tend to read. But other than a very few, I bring them back to the store, bring back something else. And, and that's the way I do it. But what I do collect is stories. Something will happen at the store. Someone will go out to see something in maybe even not totally related to books, but somehow related. And I have page after page here, that which I'll show to the microphone. Yes. Uh, but either there's a, a phrase, a word, a sentence, and every one of them is a story. And you can recall pretty and, much detail and, when you take a look at the story. So we'll do a little experiment here in a minute, and we'll have you point to something yeah, yeah. And, and, and figure it out. It, but that's what I, I have fun with because it's the memories, it's the things. And also, quite honestly, what, a lot of times now when I do a talk, rather than doing the same talk over and over, it's very easy because you just go, oh, okay, I'll point to this one. And I'll, it, it cuts down on the preparation times. It makes it easier. And it varies for me because right. if I don't tell the same story every time, it doesn't, in my mind, get and, and every every day, there's a new possible story in who's coming in, in where you're going, the books that are passing back and forth. I mean, we know this because we've done these podcasts and love the stories that you tell. It, and absolutely. And there yeah. are some, like I say, that aren't absolutely about books, but it might be something that happened because of books or because of appraisals or because of things that, that have come in. So let's do that, which we discussed. And again, take our word for it, folks. I'm the referee here. Your choice. Indulge yourself. Point to a page. Point to a, a line. And let's see what the story well, has to uh, say. Well, there's one here. It says Dave Powers. Now, I, you probably a name that you Kennedy, recognize. The Kennedy era. Kennedy era. Um, he, was a, he was a very good – he was – I don't know if he was as much an advisor to Kennedy as he was a friend to Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And he was around Kennedy all the time. He was, you know, a companion uh, and someone that Kennedy liked and trusted. And and he was a friend of my father's. He was the head of the Kennedy Library out on Columbia Point in Boston for years. And just a really nice guy. And he liked telling stories. But I remember one time he called me after he was at the library. He called me up and said, could I come to his house? And he had a few things that were sort of extras and other subjects. And he was selling a few things. He was getting older. 
But then I was just sitting on a couch in his living room, and he started saying, well, you know, uh, I was there when Kennedy was assassinated. I was in the car right behind Kennedy Mm. at the assassination. Here I am sitting on his living room having a man telling me that he was in the car behind Kennedy. And he was telling me that he was actually taking home movies of the the crowd and the possession. Mm. And he said, and I ran out of film about five minutes, a few minutes oh. before the... And, and his reaction was, and he goes, and I am the happiest man in the world that I ran out of film. He says, I never would have wanted to have recorded that, to have been yeah. able to look at it over and over. But for me, just sitting there with a man talking about, oh, yeah, I was in the car behind wow. Kennedy. It, wow. you, you get those connections, and, and he told many other stories and things, but how many people get to talk with somebody who was actually in that motorcade? One of the reasons that uh, is, is obvious because of the store and because of the, this wonderful tradition of sharing stories over books and having so much of a customer base your dad was a rock contour. He loved people. I mean, he really did. And he loved talking about books with anybody. So, One of the ways my father built the business, he, he loved books, he read books, he was a hard worker, he knew books. But one of the ways he really built the store was because he loved talking about them. And he was sort of almost his own public relations person. Uh, I mean, and he was a character, and people love that. Another one of these stories is, and, and Jordan, being in the news business, you can maybe understand this too, but I'll tell people, normally if somebody calls up a newspaper and says, well, I've got this great story, uh, you know, most of those, hmm. someone will go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and hang up. Almost nobody, though, will call up the publisher of the paper, Davis Taylor, who owned and published the Globe, (laughs) and say, Davis, I have this great story. First of all, they would not get through. They would never, ever get through. The only way you would get through to a person like Davis Taylor, if he told his secretary, if so-and-so calls, put the call through. If George Gloss is on the line, (laughs) I'll take the call. And then my father would tell a story, which obviously Davis Taylor always found amusing, and he would say, George, I'm the publisher. I don't deal with editorial content. And my father would go, well, I know that, but it's a great story. And then my father would say, and of course, the next day a reporter would call. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that someone could actually do that and get away. And it made me appreciate how much people liked my father. Because, you know, once I got old enough to realize what that meant is there is no way that you could call up the publisher of the New York Times or the president and say, I want to be in the paper, you know, unless they wanted you to get through. Well, you're talking about an era that was so different in in the sense that we didn't have instant communication. We we actually spoke to people like like human beings. But it's that rapport that he had. It's the rapport that you have. And, you know, you talk about media. I mean, every time you've done – when I've done radio with you or any of my colleagues – the lines blow up. We know that you're an absolute easy guest. If you have George in the, or Ken in the booth, you know you're going to get tons of calls. Well, uh, here's another story. I don't, right. I don't know where it is in here, but it's a story about um, 
Steve Fredericks. I remember who, Steve. The, in, in, he was sports and then he was news. Well, he was also... Let me see this. He, he was also... This one's a good one, too. Okay. But he was also a... Uh, he took over after Jerry Williams, who was a Boston talk show at night. Oh, yes. My father used to get calls, almost Steve Fredericks, if Steve wasn't feeling well a night. <laughs> I remember one day he had the runs... He got my father to come in, and because he knew that he could start a conversation, run to the bathroom, my father could keep going for 10 minutes, and even then, if the producer helped, they could take the next call until he could get back in the, in the show. And uh, a lot of times when I do shows, you, uh, people will I'll get on a show, and we get a lot of calls— and the host doesn't have to do any prep work. I just come in with stuff. We talk about it. It's interesting. It's fun. People like Believe to Believe me, I know. But, I know. But, I'm one but, of those hosts. But <laughs> the, 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 the reality is there's a huge amount of prep work that goes into every guest to being prepared yes, to know who they yes. are, to know what's going on. To Whereas sometimes Friday night on a 10 to midnight show, it makes it easier. And, and I love doing it, and it's fun. It's, this is such a, a who's who. I mean, they're just amazing things. And I'm just going to – can I just throw a couple sure. of them out? And many of these I'm, I'm recognizing from our talks. We, yeah. did, we did the Bob Dylan Newport program, yep. the Newport Jazz. We've done uh, several of the Charles Dickens uh, Christmas Carol editions. Mm-hmm. What's this Yastrzemski story? Hugh Yastrzemski, 3,000th uh, hit. One of my employees – and this this is an employee who worked for us for a number of years. And first of all, just saying the name Hugh. Let me give a little bit of background of who Hugh was. He worked for us back in the boy, I started in the seventy-three. He didn't he worked for about seventeen years. The about a week after Hugh worked for us, I was helping an older man, and of course who's probably younger than I am now, but an older man at the time. He was looking for an obscure author called Donifred Yates. And Hugh had only worked there a few days, so I didn't really know him. This man comes in. I I actually knew who Donifred Yates was. Mm. We looked at the section. We didn't have any. I said, do you want to leave your name? He said, no, I'll stop in another time. He leaves. Hugh walks up to me and goes, does that man come in here often? I go, you know, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention, but no, I didn't, you know, see. He goes, oh, well, that was J.D. Salinger. <laughs> and, and then he adds, I used to date his daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then I... then, then Hugh, uh, uh, about a month later, I had four tickets, or my wife had four tickets to a Celtics game, and we said, do you want to go? And Hugh said, yeah, but let me have the tickets. Uh, I, I'll meet you there. I, I, there's someone I want to take. Now, again, he would only work for us for a very short time at this thing, and uh, we didn't know that much about him and his background. He was a hard worker. Anyways, we get to the basketball game, my wife and I, and he's sitting there with a woman. And it was one of the introductions that I have never forgotten, one of the more inter- memorable introductions I've ever had. Hugh goes, I'd like you to meet my wife, Mickey. We're getting divorced tomorrow. <laughs> so, anyways, so that's Interesting. a little setup for Hugh. We got tickets. Uh, someone gave us tickets to a Red Sox game. And again, I had four tickets. Hugh, do you want to go? This was years. Mm. It was, well, a number of years later. And Hugh goes, yeah. And, and at the time, I think 
Kalia Stromsky had 2,900, either 98 or 99 hits. Mm -hmm. So one of the big points of being at that game was, so I know that he had 2,999 hits. The Red Sox were coming up that inning. He was like the second or third batter. What does Hugh decide to do? Go down and get a beer. What happens is, Yastrzemski gets up, bang, 3,000 hit. A minute or two later, Hugh walks in with his beer. And it was like, Hugh! But this was so typical. We had known him for a long time. It, It would almost, we would have been surprised if he hadn't gone down to get a beer. Well, I'm impressed that you were at that game. That's when Yastrzemski uh, ran around and, and said thank you and, and shook hands with a lot of fans. Went, didn't he yeah, take the it, whole it, spin around? It, I remember it, that and, he, game. and it wasn't something that Yastrzemski normally did. Right. He was very touched, and it was a very yeah, nice Yeah, and he, he was not one necessarily to reach out. But— so, so you, so you just pointed a story just there's, at random, I and there are three stories that come out of it. Wow! Uh, there's one here. Well, there's one that I just added that I thought was a great story, a personal thing. Uh, but my wife during the COVID got she has a sticker that says, "I got." Vaccinated. Oh, I, yes. I got voted at Fenway Park. I got vaccinated at Fenway Park. Right. And then a friend of ours from the Antiques Roadshow, which still has to do with the whole book thing. This is someone who collect, does sports and collectibles, but we've become good friends over the years. So I still consider it a business story. It's not specifically books. But she calls us up and goes, I'm going to be in Boston. I have four tickets to a Red Sox game. It was the last game the Red Sox played. It was against the Angels before they went to full capacity. Mm. But she comes in and she says, my mother might come along. And we know her mother. Her mother's wonderful. In any case, I'm sitting there. Joyce is talking with our friend from the road show, and I'm talking with her mother. And uh, her mother comes out with this. She's 85 years old. And she comes out with a statement, you know, I think it's time to give up my license. And you're saying, yeah. She goes, yeah, and the plane, too. <laughs> she, she was talking about her pilot's oh, license, not her driver's wow. license. And her daughter said, yeah, no, she's, she could fly fine, but it's keeping the plane up and all that. <laughs> so I, the, now here's the real connection, and I'm still waiting for this to happen. Uh, my son-in-law, who lives in Newton, and uh, his sister had a baby. They live up here. We have a grandson who was just a year old. His parents came up. And uh, this woman was also saying that she also flew races from Canada to Florida. Mm. She was a, in a club called the 99 Club when Amelia Earhart <laughs> started a, an aviation club, and there were 99 original members. She's been a member of the 99 Club for 60 years. Mm. I asked her, why did you— get a pilot's license. She said, well, about 60 years ago or more, we, we have a place on Cape Cod and we were driving there and the traffic was just horrible. <laughs> the next day I went to the airport and I asked, can someone teach me how to fly? So she's been flying since. But yeah. my son-in-law's father was up and I was telling him the story. He goes, I would love to meet this lady. He goes, it, it, just, it would be a fabulous. He goes, I was an air traffic controller, and I used to give them 
instructions. I remember that group, and I talked with many of them oh, on the radio, wow. and I was one of the air traffic controllers who told them what the weather was, where they were going. How to, he goes, I, I probably know this lady, but never have met her. And so at some point, we're going to introduce them. And so, again, you point to one thing. It's, I, it's I, one. I am taking a lesson for you because I have an issue with stories. I've got so many of them, and I haven't cataloged them. You've actually done the hard work, uh, and yet what I love about that is all it takes is one word or two words to remind or sentence. you. And, and, and that's actually, the way a good storyteller and is. I, and I keep adding to it. And actually, sometimes when I look over my list, I realize, wait a minute, that was on page two, and now it's on page seven. Uh, one last one that I'll yeah. tell, and this was about an appraisal. I, I think I might have mentioned this in a podcast, but this one's up there, and I know it's probably somewhere in here. Uh, but I've got them about Great Gatsby, about Carlton Fisk and J.D. Salinger, and I have one about a Bible leader, a woman who eats Bibles. Now, that's another whole story. Uh, I have one about Edward Bernays, who was a PR person who we knew. But this was one about not knowing that not everybody's going to trust an appraisal. So I have Lincoln appraisal. My wife was doing an Antiques Roadshow once. She didn't do it for very long, uh, but she did do a few. A lady brought in a book, uh, and she goes, it's signed by A. Lincoln. You know, perfectly possible. Mm. My wife takes a quick look at it. Now, when you're doing Antiques Roadshow, you try to really look. People sometimes have stood in line for an hour or two, and sometimes you look at it and you know— you know, wait a minute. But my wife looks at it. She opens it up. She does this. She goes, it is signed by A. Lincoln, just not the A. Lincoln we both want it to be. <laughs> and the lady immediately gets defensive and goes, well, how do you know? And my wife turns to the title page and goes, well, this book was printed in 1911. <laughs> and she goes, the lady goes, so? <laughs> and then my wife goes, well, I remember from history that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865. And the lady slammed the book shut and goes, you don't know what you're talking about, and stormed off. And so you, you can't make everybody happy. And you can't make that story up. So, so That's the point. Too. What I do is many times when I do lectures now, a way of varying it for me and doing it, I just bring this list along and uh, I point, or once in a while I've even had like the, the host or someone point at one and I go, oh, second floor. Yeah, somebody called us once and they had a few thousand books and they said it was on the second floor. What they didn't tell me was you had to walk up six flights to get to the first floor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So on and on I, and on. I love it. I'm gonna. I'm going to work on my own list. It won't be anywhere near as extensive as yours, but I love that concept. And I, I will be willing to bet you have interviewed and been with so many different people and so many different times. If you start doing this, it will be as long or longer because one reminds you of another, Absolutely. reminds you of the other, and the more people that you've met and dealt with, one of the great parts about being in a bookstore or any business is if you are in a business that you deal with people, there's a, there's a story for every one of them just about. And, a, and, a, a few of them 
you may like to forget, but the large majority are great stories. And they certainly break the ice and make people, especially now when we're getting back to some sense of normalcy, to hear the stories in person. And you're doing a lot of these talks, hopefully in the near future, in person, which is great. We're, since, they're, since they're scheduled way ahead of time, mm. uh, it's going to be a few months before I really get back because the ones I'm doing now were scheduled right. in the middle of this. But yeah, and... And even though they go well virtually, actually seeing the people and seeing their faces and the reactions and what they might have, it's a lot more fun. And, and a lot of times it's when you're leaving, someone runs up to you and says, and that's what makes the whole thing worthwhile. Well, you made this podcast worthwhile as you do every time. It's called The Brattlecast. You can visit brattlebookshop.com to connect. Ken Gloss, have a great, great day, and thank you so much for sharing. Well, it's fun, and I'm looking forward to the next one already.